If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Video games. Out there, man. The people who make them. The stories behind it all. You're listening to Random Access Memories. By Ron's Pies. Enjoy the show. If somehow you missed the news, Microsoft has announced that they are all set to completely acquire ZeniMax Media and, by proxy, Bethesda Softworks. This deal means Xbox Game Studios will be joined by the likes of id Software, Arcane Studios, Machine Games, and, of course, Bethesda Game Studios. And I imagine it also means that Bethesda intellectual property is now Xbox intellectual property. Dishonored, Doom, Wolfenstein, The Evil Within, Prey, Rage, The Elder Scrolls, and Fallout. To modern gamers, Fallout is synonymous with Bethesda's unique approach to game design. It's extremely similar to The Elder Scrolls, but with a unique enough atmosphere and concept to really set it apart from other Western RPGs on the market. And now, it belongs to Xbox. However, Fallout didn't belong to Bethesda to begin with at first. Bethesda Game Studios didn't create Fallout the same way they created The Elder Scrolls and soon Starfield. Fallout was something they acquired along their journey and took the helm on. Fallout has changed hands twice now, but it has since gone almost full circle since its original creators closed house. Fallout is a pretty wacky game with a pretty wacky journey, and it all started at a company called Interplay. Welcome to Random Access Memories, a gaming podcast dedicated to the stories behind video games. This podcast is an in-depth look at a variety of the different franchises, developers, and studios around the world that form the greatest entertainment medium in the world. History, conversations, fun facts about franchises you thought you knew everything about, this is Random Access Memories. Random Access Memories is a podcast produced by Ron's Pies, a YouTube channel dedicated to in-depth looks at video games. If you like the podcast, please follow the show on your podcast podcast distribution platform of choice, leave a positive review, and subscribe to the channel. With that, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to Random Access Memories, and welcome to episode 8. I am your writer and host, Wade Ronspies, and I hope you enjoyed the last episode. I'm a little biased, of course, but I thought it was pretty damn good, so check it out if you haven't yet. After Microsoft shocked the world when they announced their plans for an acquisition of ZeniMax Media, the parent company of Bethesda Softworks, I knew I had to talk about it in some way. This is a pivotal moment in the history of gaming, akin to Sega leaving the console game after the Dreamcast, or Bungie joining and then leaving Activision. This is a big, big deal in the grand scheme of things, even if we won't see the fruits of this acquisition for a while. Either way, it's a hell of a story, especially if you've been following Bethesda and their IP for a long time. IP, or intellectual property, like Fallout. Now, before we talk about Fallout, we have to talk about three things. Interplay Entertainment, Wasteland, and GURPS. 
Interplay Entertainment is a studio that was founded in 1983 in Irvine, California, and back then it was called Interplay Productions. Interplay has developed, ported, and published some legendary titles following their founding 37 years ago. Bard's Tale, Battle Chess, Another World, Alone in the Dark, Earthworm Jim, Baldur's Gate, and more. Interplay mostly stuck to publishing in their golden era, but every now and then they'd create internally developed projects. Projects like Wasteland. Wasteland is a post-apocalyptic RPG set almost a hundred years after a catastrophic nuclear war devastates the planet. The RPG systems in place in Wasteland are based on Dungeons and Dragons, and the narrative was extremely story-heavy. Paragraphs and paragraphs of information and descriptions of the player's actions. It really is like playing a virtual game of D&D, just one set in a post-nuclear world. Wasteland allegedly took five years to develop and was released for Apple IIs in 1988, and would also come to major PC platforms like MS-DOS and the Commodore 64. Wasteland was particularly noteworthy for being one of the first examples of a persistent world, AKA, the player could make decisions that could permanently and dramatically alter the world and the game's narrative. Wasteland wouldn't actually see any official sequel until 2014 with Wasteland 2, and Wasteland 3 was released in August this year, developed by In Exile. So how does Wasteland fit into all of this? Well, for starters, Fallout began life as a Wasteland sequel, but for a very specific reason. It wasn't exactly a timely sequel, so it's not like Interplay was striking while the Wasteland fire was still hot. No, the reason Interplay decided to go back to Wasteland nearly 10 years later was due to Interplay getting the license for a new type of RPG system called GURPS, Generic Universal Role-Playing System. The reason GURPS was a big deal to Interplay was because the D&D system was mostly designed for fantasy settings, and GURPS literally had the world universal in its name, meaning it was more widely applicable to a variety of different stories and settings, like future post-apocalyptic ones. But the long and short of it is this. The D&D system is largely reliant on dice rolls, while GURPS gave the player a pool of stat points they could allot however they chose, giving the player free reign how they wanted to build their character and leaving less to chance. So the idea was to use the system for a Wasteland sequel, initially called GURPS Wasteland, except Interplay didn't exactly have the rights to Wasteland at that time. Kind of strange considering they created Wasteland, but Electronic Arts was the company that published Wasteland in the first place. So they had publishing rights, and if Interplay wanted to make a new Wasteland game, they'd have to go through EA. Instead, Interplay, led by producer Tim Kaine, opted to just create a whole new IP complete with an entirely new world story and setting. You know, as you do. So Brian Fargo, the director of Wasteland, suggested to Kane to call the new game Fallout. But the title and the world weren't the only things Interplay had to change. Steve Jackson Games, the creators of GURPS, actually revoked Interplay's license to use GURPS after seeing the violence and gore on display in Fallout. Interplay lost the license just as soon as they got it. So in true Interplay and Fallout fashion, Interplay went and used an established idea as a backbone to their own unique ideas. So Interplay used GURPS and created Special, Strength, Perception, Endurance, Charisma, Intelligence, Agility, and Luck. The ideas taken for GURPS were mostly the same. The player would have a pool of points they could dedicate to the attributes of their choosing, but even in their slight changes, Interplay created a new system unique to their world and the tongue-in-cheek sense of humor they were developing for Fallout. Fallout began development in 1994 with a one-man team, and that man was Tim Kaine. At that point, Tim Kaine was yet another cog in the Interplay machine, but his development ramped up and 
eventually gathered a team of programmers, Kane became the project's producer. Tim Kane was an essential part of Fallout's development, and is considered one of the main reasons Fallout became the hit it did. Fallout came out on October 10th, 1997 and garnered lots of positive critical praise. Fans loved it for its distinct tone and personality, and its rich lore and colorful cast of characters steeped in 1950s American retrofuturism. Fallout was immediately followed by a sequel, Fallout 2. And while Fallout 2 was published by Interplay, just as the first one was, Fallout 2 wasn't developed by Interplay by name this time around. Instead, legendary RPG studio Black Isle Studios, a subsidiary of Interplay, developed Fallout 2 the team that would later create Planescape Torment and Icewind Dale. Black Isle Studios was actually a team made up of lots of Fallout developers, including Tim Kane. However, tensions were rising between Black Isle and Interplay. Fallout 2 was the studio's first game, and already there were a bunch of developers, like Tim Kane, leaving to form their own studio, Troika Games, amidst a structuring conflict within Interplay. Troika didn't last long. Its last game was Vampire the Masquerade in 2004, but neither did Black Isle and Interplay. Black Isle went defunct in 2003 due to bankruptcy, and Interplay, well, Interplay still exists, believe it or not. They have a website and everything, and are slated to co-publish a PC game called Kingpin Reloaded alongside 3D Realms soon. Interplay even tried to revive Black Isle in 2012, but to no avail. But before Black Isle closed its doors in 2003, they were working on a prototype for Fallout 3, codenamed Van Buren. And know that when I say Fallout 3, it might conjure up specific imagery, but Van Buren was definitely meant to be a continuation of Fallout 1 and 2. It was an isometric RPG. But considering Black Isle closed down in 2003, we never got their version of Fallout 3. Interplay released two of their own Fallout spinoffs during this time too, but after Black Isle's closure and the cancellation of Fallout 3, Fallout's future as a franchise was uncertain. Former Black Isle employees later went on to form Obsidian Entertainment, which is where things get really funny, but we'll get to them later. Fallout was prolific enough by 2004 to grab the attention of many RPG developers, but it really had the attention of Bethesda Game Studios, who bought the license to use Fallout from Interplay for $1,175,000. The people at Bethesda, most notably Todd Howard, were huge fans of Fallout. Bethesda at that time was known for making their own kind of RPGs. They opted for a first-person camera perspective rather than the traditional isometric view in their world-famous series The Elder Scrolls. Morrowind, the third game in their series, was a big turning point in RPG history after it came out in 2002. And Oblivion, the next one released in 2006, was an even bigger turning point. Bethesda was quickly becoming the biggest name in Western RPGs, and the studio was growing at an alarming rate. And now, they had the rights to make their own Fallout game. Black Isle was gone, and they didn't have to answer to Interplay or anyone else other than themselves. Unfortunately, the prototype for Black Isle's Fallout 3 was all but scrapped by Bethesda. Van Buren was no more. Bethesda wanted to leave their own mark on Fallout, and to do that, they wanted it to be 100% theirs from concept to completion. Development on Bethesda's Fallout 3 began in 2004, after principal development on Oblivion had finished. It was built on the same engine Bethesda had used for Oblivion, Gamebryo. Bethesda would later switch to their own custom creation engine, but Gamebryo would be their go-to until 2011. Fallout had traditionally taken place in the California and Nevada deserts up to this point. Van Buren was planned to take place in the desert too, but considering Bethesda's name and location, they opted to take their Fallout 3 to the East Coast to Washington, D.C. It wasn't just because the Maryland-based studio preferred the East Coast, it was also a brand new look at a universe that had already been so defined. 
Instead of the yellows and browns of the desert, Fallout 3 was green and gray. It offered a different kind of bleakness. Instead of a desolate wasteland of sand, a ruined city of concrete and metal. I think it puts the tragedy of nuclear war into a much more poignant and understandable perspective. Fallout 3 still wasn't afraid to get goofy now and then like the Interplay games, but it started to ditch some of the more satirical and self-referential elements of the series in favor of an even more serious and dramatic tone. Bethesda also upped the budget big time after the crazy success of Morrowind. Oblivion featured the voice talents of Sir Patrick Stewart. Fallout 3 would feature the likes of Liam Neeson and the returning Ron Perlman for the game's signature opening VO. This would be a complete shift for Fallout compared to its isometric roots. But Bethesda still tried to retain some sort of artistic and aesthetic consistency to the original games. Plus, this was Fallout 3. It wasn't a reboot that retconned the events of the previous games. But of course, you didn't need to play the other two to understand the events of the third. Bethesda even tried to retain a turn-based system inspired by the original two games, which is how we got VATS. VATS is one of the most iconic parts of the new age of Fallout, allowing the player to stop time and target specific body parts on enemies, often to humorously gory effect. This is what set Fallout 3 apart not just from Bethesda's previous work, but all of gaming put together. It might be oblivion with guns and nukes, but it did enough to stand on its own two feet. Fallout 3 came out on October 28, 2008 on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC. It was an instant success and immediately became a pillar of Bethesda's gamography from then on. Oblivion was a pretty huge success for Bethesda, and Fallout 3 did even better, making over $300 million after everything was said and done. Fallout was no longer a cult classic PC RPG, it was now a blockbuster franchise. But this was a new age of gaming. Studios just couldn't juggle multiple projects at once like they once could. Beginning in the 2000s, video games became multi-million dollar endeavors requiring years of dedicated development time. It would be insane to work on two huge AAA titles at the same time. And Bethesda's next game wasn't going to be a Fallout game. They wanted to return to Elder Scrolls, and they wouldn't release their next project, which would become Skyrim, until 2011, three years after Fallout 3. Which is funny, because in hindsight that sounds so fast, but back then, three years was an eternity. But Bethesda Softworks, the publisher Bethesda, not the studio Bethesda, wasn't ready to let Fallout fall by the wayside for a few years while waiting for BGS to return after Skyrim. They wanted to keep the Fallout hype going, and to fill the dead space between Fallout 3 and Skyrim. So, instead of having Bethesda proper make a new game, or use one of their other acquired studios, Bethesda commissioned Obsidian Entertainment to make a new game in the Fallout series as a direct follow-up to Fallout 3. The idea was to use pretty much all the existing assets, systems, and more to make a new Fallout game with a relatively quick turnaround. It's not a spin-off, but it's not a numbered entry either. But of course, I'm burying the lead here. Obsidian Entertainment was their choice, and it honestly couldn't have been any more poetic. This was the team built from the smoldering ashes of the original team that created Fallout to begin with. It almost sounds mean when you think about it. Like Bethesda took Fallout from Black Isle, and they were essentially giving back to them what was theirs to begin with, but as a one-time only deal. Of course, that's a cynical way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it would be to rightly assume that Obsidian was absolutely thrilled to get a brand new crack at Fallout. Even if this wasn't completely the original team or studio, these were the creators of the series. Josh Sawyer, the new project Project's director was a designer at Black Isle. This would have old school DNA starting at the very top of the management chain. Fallout couldn't have been in more suitable hands, and Obsidian even used scrapped ideas from the old Van Buren prototype as the backbone to many of the plot ideas and concepts they would use in their new Fallout game, Fallout New Vegas. 
New Vegas saw the return to the deserts of California and Nevada, a sight for sore eyes for old school Fallout fans. For all intents and purposes, New Vegas was essentially Fallout 3, just in a new location with a new story and some improved gameplay systems. But I think the star of New Vegas, and what separates it from 3, is the writing and overall design of New Vegas. New Vegas was a game in the hands of RPG legends, who started designing RPGs when Dungeons & Dragons was the standard method at play. These people understand the importance of the role-playing aspect of role-playing games, which is why New Vegas truly feels like an infinite sandbox of possibilities. Players can spec and customize their characters far beyond what was possible in Fallout 3, meaning players could bend the game to their rules instead of the other way around. The game's structure and design was open-ended enough to allow for any playstyle to not just work, but to flourish, to the point where if you've made your character a certain way, you can simply convince the final boss of the game to not fight you. The reason I, and many others, love New Vegas is the freedom it gives the player by never saying no, and that's partly due to the brilliant writing from John Gonzalez, who would later go on to be the lead writer for Guerrilla Games' Horizon Zero Dawn. I think Fallout New Vegas is the perfect Fallout game, and dare I say, the best RPG ever made. It's the rich, dark world of Fallout with the systems and gameplay of the Elder Scrolls, but with the master craftsmanship and wit from Obsidian slash Black Isle. It's a brilliant marriage of everything that makes an RPG fun, and shipped 5 million copies just after a couple weeks on sale. But sadly, Obsidian never got another crack at Fallout after New Vegas, but that may change at some point, which I'll touch on later. Critically, New Vegas didn't actually perform all too well. It was praised for its story and design, but pretty universally ripped apart for its performance issues and bugs, which can be attributed to the engine Obsidian was working with. So, quick recap, just to drive home how weird this story is. Interplay and Black Isle create Fallout in 1997, Black Isle goes under, and Bethesda buys the Fallout IP in 2004. Former Black Isle employees form Obsidian Entertainment who, a few years later, are tasked by Bethesda to make a new Fallout game. So pretty much the same people create the IP, lose the IP, and then are given back the IP just for a little while. And this is where things start to get weird. And now look. I could spend a huge chunk of time talking about what was next for Bethesda and Obsidian, about how Obsidian went to Kickstarter and started making isometric RPGs just as they once had for Black Isle, and how Bethesda would spend over four years working on Fallout 4. But for the sake of time and for the narrative I'm weaving here, I'm going to gloss over these things. Please understand, this is the story of Fallout as an IP, not necessarily a full dissection of the entire franchise and the teams behind it. If I wanted to do that, we'd be in for another four-parter like with Halo. So, even though Bethesda released Fallout 4 in 2015, the next relevant event in the story is in 2018, when Microsoft announced they were acquiring Obsidian Entertainment and their original IP. But before Microsoft could fully own Obsidian, Obsidian had one last independent project planned for release the next year, the Outer Worlds. That's right, we're not talking about Fallout 4, but we are going to talk about the Outer Worlds. After New Vegas and prior to the Outer Worlds, Obsidian was pretty dedicated to their original Pillars of Eternity series, a callback RPG reminiscent of their origins making fantasy-based isometric PC games like Planescape Torment. Pillars of Eternity did well, but people still wanted that Obsidian flair on a modern-style RPG, aka a Bethesda-style RPG. Their new project was a sci-fi RPG set in the far future in a world under siege by colonialism and hyper-capitalism, The Outer Worlds. The Outer Worlds would share a lot of similarities with Fallout. Crazy weapons, lots of factions, a rich lore, and a goofy yet serious tone. If Pillars of Eternity was their way of making Planescape but again, 
the Outer Worlds would be their way of making Fallout. Tim Kaine, one of the integral members of Interplay and Black Isle, even returned as the game's co-director alongside Leonard Boyarsky, who was also an Interplay veteran. Both were key figures during the development of both Fallout and Fallout 2, but were absent for Fallout New Vegas' development. But now, they were leading the ship on its spiritual successor. Even in the announcement trailer for the game, it was clear. The Outer Worlds was a Western RPG from the people who made and perfected Fallout. The game wasn't published by Microsoft, it was published by Private Division, a subsidiary of Take-Two Interactive, and released in October 2019 for Xbox One, PC, PS4, and eventually Nintendo Switch, despite Obsidian technically being owned by Microsoft at that point. But sadly, due to their acquisition by Microsoft, all hope seemed lost that they'd ever get to touch Fallout properly ever again. It would be pretty hard to convince Bethesda to lend the IP to an Xbox game studio, so fans savored the Outer Worlds as if it was the New Vegas 2 we would never get. Except, here's where it gets interesting, and here's where we catch up to today. As you probably know, partly because I stated at the top of the show, Microsoft has also acquired all of Bethesda, including its IP. And that means Fallout is now in the hands of Xbox. So Fallout has gone from an original IP by Interplay and Black Isle Studios, to owned by Bethesda, to worked on by former employees of Interplay, and now to Xbox, and if you keep in mind that Obsidian is also owned by Xbox, that means the original creators of Fallout and its current owners are now under the same umbrella. Whew. Which means for the first time since 2004, both Fallout and its original creators are under the same publisher. Which also means there is a chance Obsidian could take another crack at Fallout. It's unclear exactly what the terms surrounding the usage of Bethesda's IP are, but I'm assuming if Bethesda is cool with it, Xbox could 100% commission and publish a new Obsidian-developed Fallout game, which is incredibly exciting. However, if that were to happen, it won't be for a while. Obsidian is currently working on their own Western RPG for Xbox, Avowed, which takes place in the Pillars of Eternity universe. If the Outer Worlds was meant to be a spiritual successor and counter to Bethesda's Fallout, well, I guess Avowed may have started as a counter to the Elder Scrolls. Meanwhile, Bethesda is working on Starfield, a new IP, and The Elder Scrolls VI. In 2018, Bethesda released Fallout 76, an online-only, MMO-ish Fallout experience, which was not received well. It's since gotten quite a bit of post-launch support, but it's not really known when the next mainline Fallout game will happen. It definitely seems as though Bethesda Game Studios isn't really planning anything for it right now, which is why it may be perfect for Obsidian to handle it, assuming they have the time and manpower for it. It's also worth noting that just because Microsoft owns Bethesda and their IP, that doesn't mean that their intellectual property will now be exclusively released on Xbox platforms. Xbox has already demonstrated that they're not afraid to allow for properties they own to be published on other platforms. See Minecraft on PS4 and Cuphead and Ori on Switch. Not to mention Xbox has been doing simultaneous PC releases for all their major projects for years now. But even if you don't have a PC, don't worry. Microsoft has stated they'll consider publishing Bethesda-made projects on a case-by-case -case basis on other platforms. That is a bit of a vague statement, but I think we can rest assured that the big stuff, like Elder Scrolls and Fallout, will still launch on PlayStation platforms. I hope. Maybe they'll do the inverse. Maybe the big stuff stays on Xbox while the smaller, less consequential stuff gets multi-platform releases. It's hard to tell right now, so I'd maybe consider investing in a nice PC if you don't want an Xbox, but still don't want to miss out on the next big RPGs from titans like Obsidian and Bethesda. And yes, I'm holding out for a New Vegas remake because that's possible now. 
And that's pretty much that on Fallout Bethesda and Obsidian. Like I said over the course of the show, I really wanted to touch on something connected to the recent Bethesda acquisition, and I thought the story of Fallout was a great story to tell. It's legitimately crazy how it somehow ended up back in the hands of its original creators, even if it technically still hasn't. So many developers and publishers who sell their IP to someone else never get the chance to work on it ever again. And not only did Obsidian get that chance, they have it again, seemingly for good. And that's why I wanted to tell this story. I hope you enjoyed, or at the very least, learned something interesting. Stay tuned for the next episode, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Random Access Memories, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want more, check out our previous episodes and or subscribe to the show on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast was produced by Ron's Pies on YouTube, so please check the channel out, subscribe, and share the show. You can follow me on Twitter at WadeLikesPie and Keegan at Key underscore Gan underscore Gin. See you next time.